really wasn't so long ago that hospitals were squeamish about admitting to themselves, let alone the public, that they were saddling patients with a lot of unnecessary harm. Evidence was growing about the extent of injury, as well as the best ways to reduce medication errors, hospital-acquired infections, and patient falls. But there first had to be a huge culture shift among healthcare professionals, frontline staff, leaders, hospital trustees, and more. That culture shift to appreciate the consequences of less than optimal care. And then, as we all know, a willingness to take on the day-in and day-out work of learning how to reduce these events. Fast forward to today and what hospital isn't working at multiple levels on multiple interventions to reduce unwanted injury and complications. In some instances, they're investigating the one case that's interrupting months of zero harm. It's against this backdrop that we're going to be checking out the partnership for patients on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI, an online talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you bi-weekly, and also afterwards, you can find us on IHI.org and on iTunes. Now, I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. The Partnership for Patients was launched by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, in 2011, and it set forth some bold aims of reducing nine preventable infections or hospital complications by 40% by the end of 2013, also to reduce preventable readmissions by 20% by the end of this year. So we're going to focus most on the issues of avoidable harm in our time today on WIHI, and we're going to take a closer look with the help of two of the initiative's 26 hospital engagement networks, or HENS, commonly referred to. We're also going to examine the ways in which the initiative is helping to create a much greater synergy between patient engagement and patient safety. And I'm always the one who loves to remind people, please, if you like to tweet Use Twitter during this program, and if you can, include the hashtag IHI in your tweets, and that way we can connect up a variety of communities that pass through our Twitter feed here at IHI. IHI's handle is at the IHI. I want to now introduce our guests, and a reminder that they do have longer bios and uh, pages of accomplishments and achievements. We capture some of it on our uh, WIHI web pages. Um, these are just sort of some quick snapshots. I also always want to remind people um, if you're only tuned into the program today by phone and you don't have the opportunity to also be looking at the screen and looking at the chat, you can always uh, email info at IHI.org uh, to get some assistance. They have some of the same information that John was just describing. So let's kick uh, uh, off with some introductions. First of all, Anne Hendrick is with us. She has important and multiple roles at Ascension Health. She's Senior Vice President of Quality and Safety, Executive Director of the Ascension Health Patient Safety Organization, and Chief Nursing Officer for the Ascension System. She guides the implementation of clinical excellence and patient safety initiatives in partnership with executives, board members, and clinical officer leadership. She also serves as the Executive Director of the Ascension Health Hospital Engagement Network, helping us with our discussion today. Welcome, Anne. 
Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for the invitation. It's my pleasure to share a bit of the Ascension story with all of you. Okay, we're Let gonna me, just, uh, Anne, I, I have, sorry, I don't mean to confuse or cut you off. I'm going to introduce everybody, and then I'm going to circle okay. right back to you. Sorry, thank you. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, next up is uh, Deborah Morris Nadzum, and I think we get to call Deborah Morris Nadzum Debbie Nadzum uh, from here on in. She currently serves as the project director for the CMS Part Partnership for Patients Hospital Engagement Network that was awarded to Joint Commission Resources, Inc. Debbie excuse me, joined JCR in 2006 as the consultant practice leader for patient safety. In this role, she provided guidance for development and delivery of JCR, JCI services, and products focused on patient safety. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you so much for the introduction. Right. An honor to be here. Wonderful. Thank you. Glad to have you. Libby Hoy is also with us. She's the founder and chief executive officer of Patient and Family Centered Care Partners based in Long Beach, California. As a mother of three boys living with chronic illness, she has years of experience navigating the healthcare system from the perspective of a patient and caregiver. She's been sharing that experience with healthcare organizations that want to evaluate, initiate, excuse me, initiate and sustain patient and family centered care programs in Southern California for the last 15 years. So glad you're with us, Libby. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Okay. And I'll do a little check with John. Have we heard from Kathy? Oh, Kathy, who just flew in from Vegas. No, that's not where she flew in from. Kathy's at some airport or another in transit, as she often might be. Kathy Luther is an IHI vice president. She's responsible for furthering IHI's work to help hospital leaders and staff achieve bold aims. And part of this work includes developing strategic partnerships that leverage innovation, pilot testing, implementation, and continuous learning across organizations, systems, professional societies, and entire countries. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, Madge. It's good to join the call, and uh, thanks for the introduction. All right. So I just have to ask, where did you fly from, and where, where did you fly to? I flew from Houston, and I'm actually sitting on the plane ready to get off at Pittsburgh. So I will join you from the Pittsburgh airport shortly. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. We'll, we'll keep, we'll try to keep up with you. All right. Here's what I'd like to do. Uh, and again, thank you all. Those of you who are still getting on board, we welcome you. Um, this is going to be a great discussion. So I have a, just a sort of icebreaker opener question. Um, I'm looking for quick answers, uh, from Libby, Debbie, and Anne. And I think I'll start with Anne. And this is just to kind of set, set a little tone. And then we'll get into each of the stories that really emerge, uh, from the roles these hens and these leaders are playing. So um, the Partnership for Patients, um, when it launched a little over two years ago, um, certainly um, sort of set upon itself an area that's very familiar territory to many hospitals, I'm sure many of the people who are joining today. I think that's what enabled the initiative to kind of pinpoint some areas where uh, it, it and the, uh, the creators felt some progress could be made. So here's what I want to ask each of you. Before we go near details, what do you feel each of you has learned about moving the ball forward uh, as a result of being in this role as a hen and being part of this national campaign? I'm sort of interested in something you might not have even expected. Anne, can I start with you? Thanks, Madge. You know, one of the things that uh, jumped into my mind when you asked that question is um, never underestimate what is still possible. Uh, Ascension had made really tremendous progress over the, the last decade in safety 
And many of these measures we perceived may have almost reached a ceiling. But what we've learned over the last uh, 12, 14 months is that never underestimate what is still possible and the continuous learning model in this very large network. Okay, thank you. That's a really intriguing idea, and so we'll learn more about that. Debbie, what would you say? Uh, I would say two things. The power of collaboration and uh, working with so many people that maybe you didn't even know before or thought were competitors before. I mean, the, the, the collaboration and coordination across hands and hospitals has been so important to moving the dial on so many of these events. And, and the, the need to be in relentless pursuit of reducing these errors. It takes constant vigilance and, and, uh, commitment um, to drive the dial for the project and for healthcare workers to okay. be vigilant. So. Oh, great. Okay, thanks. Well, we'll fill all this in a little bit more. Libby? Um, I think the thing that's in, impressed me the most is the, the really genuine focus um, Partnership for Patients has put on engaging patients and families at all levels of the campaign. And I, I second um, Debbie's comment about collaboration. It's just incredible and inspiring and exciting to hear the amount of collaboration and sharing going on between and amongst the, the hospital engagement networks and the hospitals within them. Um, you know, really new and innovative strategies for widespread um, improvement is, is just, it's very exciting. Fabulous. Okay. All right. Let's, let's do this then. Uh, back to Anne. And uh, Anne, Ascension really did have a lot to build upon. You said never underestimate, uh, in a sense, what more can be done. Um, but I also think that the Partnership for Patients um, was pulling on some tremendous progress and achievement as Ascension. So I want, it, you know, you're, you have the very uh, challenging task, each of you, of telling us in kind of a few minutes a little bit of this uh, Ascension hen story in terms of what it's meant to be part of this um, hospital engagement network and move things forward. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Madge. Um, as I started to say, it's my honor really to share very briefly the story of Ascension Health. Our work began back in 2004 and five, like many of you, really trying to identify where preventable mortality and harm was occurring in all of our hospitals in more than 20 states. And we audited 50 consecutive uh, death charts in all of our hospitals and found that in, within those, there were hospital-acquired conditions that contributed in one way or another. Uh, we used observed over <clears throat> expected mortality rates to really set a baseline for the organization along with what we called at that time priorities for action. They're now known as hospital-acquired conditions. That was really the system focus where all of our clinicians came together to collaborate and put forward plans for prevention. Uh, terrific results uh, over the years, more than 10,000 lives, uh, again, based on observed or expected mortality, have been prevented from that early baseline. 
we continued the work on into um, really the last three or four years in much the same way, uh, picked up high reliability as a framework, and when this opportunity came along for the hospital engagement network, it gave us a chance to look inward and really think carefully about where were results stalled and where could we benefit from additional collaboration, additional leadership. And this is um, a simple visual that gives you an idea. Every hospital is working on all 11 areas. We ask our CEOs to name a network lead. They all did for each hospital. Those network leads identified subject matter experts and this is hospital-led, data-driven initiatives with this collaboration that you've heard all of us say. Um, I might highlight a couple of things. One, our results overall, and there's a slide going up. Um, once the contract was received, as you can imagine, getting a system of this size um, to get organized around this in a new way took, uh, took about 60 days or so, but in the last 12 months, we have seen really uh, beautiful improvement results across all of these areas. We were already way below the national uh, benchmark in many of them. Uh, one that I might point out is injurious falls or pressure ulcers. We knew we were setting the pace in those areas. Even with that, we have seen an, an additional decrease in injurious falls and in pressure ulcers while we've been doing this work. And we've also had the opportunity to learn from many, many other hospitals and even improve upon what we were doing. One thing I'll comment on this slide is you will see there has been a slight blip in birth trauma uh, according to the ARC definition, and we have validated that is not a real increase, but all this increased attention on these topics actually caused coding to to pick up a little bit in some areas where they were being overly cautious about how coding was done. So that number will be reversed downward, but even at that, we are still 63% below the national benchmark. Um, one example I'll highlight um, before we move on is in the area specifically of early elective deliveries, Ascension had really led the nation on this work back in 2006, meaning that mothers should not be induced before 39 weeks of pregnancy unless there was medical indication. And we had a very low rate, um, some 3% as an entire system that delivers more than 75,000 babies a year. When we joined the partnership, this became really um, with fresh eyes, um, what were we missing even at that 3% rate, which was very low? And as this slide shows you, we have now been able to reduce this to less than 1% of all of those thousands of births are being delivered early. Uh, additionally, we wanted to put a cost calculator to this in terms of what it means for, first of all, safety for our mothers and infants, and that's unquestionable, but also in terms of value and cost for the healthcare system. We now have produced a cost calculator based on peer-reviewed literature and our own data that shows that we have saved approximately 27 million in charges in additional NICU days as a result of this work and 
had an opportunity to partner with many, many other hens who are doing this work. So that's a bit of an overview um, about structure. Really, um, those closest to the issue are leading the work. We have very transparent data that we share internally and externally. And also, we're taking it to the next level in terms of quality improvement by now attaching uh, measures of cost related to the work, both in terms of the human cost of the injury, but also what are these issues costing uh, healthcare system that really has no no latitude at all for additional costs being added now. So we're very proud of that. Sounds really, really good. Okay, I'm going to have some follow-up questions, uh, and I know certainly our audience will. Just as a reminder, um, and if you could just do that uh, boilerplate about Ascension, how many hospitals and kind of where 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 you're located in the country. Our system office is in St. Louis, but we are now in uh, 23 states, really, from uh, coast to coast. Okay. All right. Very, very good. Okay. So we've got uh, some a little bit of a picture here now of some impressive work going on in the Ascension-led hen. And I'm going to now move on to Debbie Nadzim and talk a little bit about what's going on with JCR, Inc. Uh, and uh, one of the things as we were prepping for this, Debbie was talking about uh, there was a nicer and interesting ramp-up period in terms of really figuring out how to do the work and how to uh, bring the hospitals that were part of this uh, into um, sort of a, a coherent sense of, of working on something together. Debbie, welcome again. Right. Thank you so much, Madge, and thank you all um, as well for listening. Yeah, we, we have a little bit of a different story from Ascension. Um, the goal's the same, clearly, 40-20 by the end of 13. There are 39 hospitals now in the JCR network um, across 16 states, uh, including two small health systems, as well as um, some of the hospitals from a larger third system. Uh, they represent academic centers, community hospitals, urban, rural, and critical access hospitals, and even one VA hospital is in our network. Um, we're supported by five subcontractors. We really needed to get some structure in place to to move this group of hospitals that pretty much, you know, didn't know any each other, um, uh, coming from different systems, different perspectives, and so we, we had a challenge initially with getting the structure in place we needed. So we have five subcontractors that assist us, the Joint Commission's Division of Healthcare Quality and Evaluation. They help us with measurement and analysis. Healthcare team training helps us with uh, team training as well as leadership engagement. Encompass is a firm out of Rockville, Maryland, with expertise in collaborative learning networks and appreciative inquiry. So they do our case studies. Social Interventions and Research is a small Chicago firm that assists us with um, the um, conduction of culture safety uh, surveys and interpretation of results. And then Northwestern University School of Medicine is assisting us with education and physician engagement. So we have this great team of um, support that is working with us and our hospitals. Our expert clinical consultants are assigned to the hospitals. They are um, clinicians as well as at least have a green belt in Six Sigma. Um, two of us have black belts. And so their expertise, not only from the clinical perspective, but from 
performance improvement is made available to their hospitals on a weekly basis through virtual consulting. All of our efforts are virtual except for an occasional on-site visit. We also built a data management system. This is a web-based portal for communication uh, with our hospitals. And on this portal resides all of our education material, performance improvement tools. We developed tracers. Those listening and familiar with um, the tracing methodology used in um, during commission survey activity um, will recognize the term. So we uh, created tracers for every one of the uh, nine adverse events as well as for readmission. And those were made available to all the other hens as well. So many hospitals hopefully have those. They all reside on the, on the data management system. This system then is available 24-7 to all of our hospitals, and so far more than 500 hospital staff members have access to it. It's also the portal through which um, hospitals select their measures and enter their data. They can review run charts that are automatically created every time they you know, enter another month's worth of data. We established an advisory council of national clinical and performance improvement experts as well who assisted us with education modules. They've been guests on webinars and really have helped provide guidance to us related to leadership engagement. And finally, we have monthly affinity group or collaborative learning network calls for every event led by one of our consultants and including hospital frontline staff who work the uh, processes associated with preventing the particular events. In terms of results, um, first, we're just so impressed with the level of commitment that these hospitals are making uh, to reducing harm and, and um, protecting their patients. Um, more than 60% of our hospitals are submitting data for nine of the events um, and almost 60% for the other two. Um, in terms of significant um, actual results, we have um, seen now a 50% reduction in central line-associated bloodstream infections, a 77% reduction in early elective deliveries, a 67% reduction in pressure ulcers, a 5% reduction in readmission, heading in the right direction, but not there yet, 19% reduction in surgical site infections and 17% reduction in ventilator-associated pneumonia, 3% reduction in ADEs. So we still have work to do with CAUTI, with injuries from falls and immobility, other OB adverse events, and VTE. So we're working on them. Finally, I just wanted to mention a couple of different things that uh, we took on as a hen. The first related to patient and family engagement. And you'll see on, um, on this slide a diagram that was created by um, Carmen and Associates and described in more detail in the special February issue of Health Affairs. This is a multidimensional framework that shows levels and continuum of engagement of patients and families. From this framework, um, five questions were developed by the National Campaign Office that all hens must now ask all their hospitals. I think you'll see those on uh, the next slide. And all of these questions speak to the level of patient and family involvement, either at the point of care or in hospital policy and protocol development and systems or at the governance level. So if you look at question four, 
hospital has an active patient family engagement committee or at least a former patient that serves on patient safety and quality committee. We decided that at the HEN level, we wanted to create our own patient and family advisory council. So we launched that at the beginning of this year, asking our hospitals to name a staff person as well as a patient to bring on to these monthly calls. We just had one prior to this call today, and they have been fascinating. The discussions that occur between patients and staff members just on these calls are learning experiences. So we're very, very proud and pleased with the involvement that we're seeing from our hospitals and the the prompting that it is doing to make many of them now establish their own PFACs when they didn't have one before. The other different thing that we've done, we recognize that the leaders of our hospitals and the members of the medical staff were engaged to the point that they support the efforts around quality and patient safety, but the level of activation seemed to be not as strong as we would have liked to have seen it. So we have developed a um, hospital executive and physician leadership strategy change package with very succinct, explicit, bulleted activities, behaviors that executives can demonstrate and that physicians can demonstrate at the bedside to really activate patient safety and quality. We're almost done with it, and in the next month, uh, We'll finalize it and make it available to all 25 other hens, and hopefully it'll be distributed around the nation. Wow. So we're, um, yeah. we're moving. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate those uh, coherent remarks and uh, cogent remarks. And I know if one goes on the uh, – uh, on it, through the – the hen, not the hen house, sorry, uh, but through through the the web of, of resources, you can find uh, some interesting uh, documentation of some of the results also that Debbie was talking about uh, evaluating actually after the first year of, of work. So thanks for that. Well, um, bear with us, everybody. Uh, we're maybe just a few minutes behind schedule, but we will get to your questions and comments. I want to now turn to Libby. It seems like a kind of natural jumping off point. Um, with Debbie talking about patient and family engagement. Uh, explain to us what your role is uh, in the, the Partnership for Patients uh, and in basically I, you know, helping to see some of the types of things that I think Debbie was just talking about. Welcome again, Libby. Thank you so much, and, and thanks again for the opportunity to, to speak with you, and, and I, I enjoy hearing about... Um, the two systems that were presented previously, and in particular about the um, advisory council for uh, JCR's hen. I, I'm very impressed by that. Um, you know, Jim Conway often says, having a patient in the room changes the conversation in every way. And I think the Partnership for Patients has really recognized that to be true. Um, and they've really worked to uh, quite diligently to design genuine engagement strategies and opportunities for patient family advisors like myself and so many others across the country that are are here and willing and ready and able to uh, to partner to improve the safety and, and quality of, of health care um, the at the uh, partnership for patient level of that that campaign in the structure that they've created through the affinity groups and the learning opportunities. Um, I've been on 
many, many different calls as, as a presenter, as a responder. There's just a number of opportunities for patients and families to get involved in this role um, and to really help define what is a patient family advisor. Um, the, the slide that's up now, I, I'm particularly proud of the, the work of a group of patient family advisors that were convened by the Institute of Healthcare Improvement at their 2012 form. Um, this, this definition was collaboratively written with the intent of really being a, a sort of global definition of patient family advisor, if you will. And it came from patient family advisors who were working in small hospitals um, in the south and larger teaching hospitals in the east and uh, all across the board. Um, and this, this definition really speaks to not only who are their patient family advisors, but what are the roles within um, the organization, whether the organization be Partnership for Patients itself, the HENS, the hospitals within it, um, or even within the, the patient uh, interaction. So um, Partnership for Patients, again, ha has provided that opportunity to really get these messages out there about the work and the benefit of having patient family advisors um, working side by side. And kind of, I think, the unique part, in my opinion, about this, this opportunity has been that they're designing opportunities for us at the outset um, so that together we're working as an interdisciplinary team um, that really addresses the needs of the patient and the family in, in improving safety. Um, it, it addresses the needs of the healthcare provider and of the healthcare organization in, in that sustainability role. So we're, we're able to work together side-by-side side to design solutions. And I think that's a big step in the right direction um, in terms of rather than bringing us in afterward to um, evaluate programs and, and take a look at policies, um, Partnership for Patients is providing an opportunity to get in at the design of the solutions. And I think that's an efficient model um, for utilizing patient family um, advisors and engagement. For an example, um, there, a lot of work has been done through the Patient Family Engagement Network um, working on a success stories template. And this is another thing that I've been very impressed with is the, the ability to share best practices across the, the project and across the hens into the hospital level in a very um, organized fashion. And so these templates exist. Um, the other template that I've had a lot of interaction with is the Harm Across the Board template. And so um, the idea has come about to perhaps work together, and, and wouldn't it be amazing if we um, mobilized our patient family advisors to help get the harm across the board template into our organizations, um, into the hospital levels, and really be a catalyst for um, looking at those safety improvements and, uh, and defining those and then bringing those forward for spread. So. Um, that's just one example of, of one project that we, uh, as patient family advisors, may be able to help you, um, again, move that work forward. By doing, uh, by providing these, these opportunities, I think Partnership for Patients is providing examples to the HENS and their hospital members in terms of how to really meaningfully and genuinely integrate patient and family engagement. Um, so they're providing examples in terms of how to establish and sustain patient family advisory councils and, and what 
genuine engagement looks like, um, which is to, to have it be representative of the, of the population that your organization serves. Um, where do you find these patient family advisors? How do you recruit? How do you, what sort of training do they need? All of these um, pieces are being put forward through the hands um, to their hospital engagement networks and continually building that um, core of patient family advisors in, at the hospital level and all the way through so that um, patients and families are in the room and we are changing that conversation um, and this is in, in, of course, genuine partnership. This isn't, patient engagement is not about providing the patient everything they want or need. It's about genuinely partnering for solutions that work for all three of those, um, those prongs. So, so Libby, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask, uh, Kathy, by the way, is Kathy there? Is Kathy Luther there? I'm gonna bring Kathy in in a minute, and I, I know we're running a little over our promised half hour for questions and comments. We'll get there as soon as possible. Uh, first of all, Libby, I wanna make sure that people know, maybe those on the call are, are in the know, the harm across the board template. Quickly, what is that? Uh, the Harm Across the Board template is uh, an opportunity or a, a template that the Partnership for Patients has put out so that hospitals are gathering the same sorts of data in regard to where they are currently um, in, these, in the harm across the board, not just in one particular area, but really evaluating the hospital. Um, and the opportunity is there um, as, as that data is gathered in the, the story, it's a very specific template in terms of um, gaining information about your current status, targeting what you need to be working on, um, raising, uh, you know, identifying your team. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm kind of doing this off the cuff. No, so that's okay. All, I just All want... the pieces of it. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. So, so that's, that's an opportunity um, as that rolls out to the hospitals through the HENS, uh, we want to get our patient family advisors involved in that um, and, and really catalyzing, again, hospitals to really utilize that template. Okay, thank you very much. One of the things you're going to hear on this program today is uh, they're sort of alluding to, all our guests are alluding to various tools and resources, and I think right now it's part of the whole initiative. I suspect uh, as the year comes to a close and we hear about the next phase of this initiative or what comes next, uh, that more of these tools and uh, items uh, will bubble up and, and become available to all. Kathy, I want to get you in here before we go to questions and comments, um, and in some sense, I'm trying to set the scene maybe during the Q&A, and we'll bring Ann and Debbie back in here along with Libby, challenges. So we're hearing about, you know, really good wheels in motion, uh, changing dynamics, clear progress uh, in uh, two of these hens. You've been working very closely with the health, excuse me, the HRET hen, the Health Research and Educational Trust of the AHA. Um, so just very kind of just in a couple minutes, um, just give us a sense of uh, kind of what some of the challenges are uh, going forward as even as the progress is being made. What's surfacing in terms of uh, cha challenges that need to be worked on? So um, I appreciate the opportunity to think this through with you, and I'll say a couple things that um, – kind of come to mind. In our more cynical moments at IHI, we thought when this took took shape that, well, gee, haven't we done all that, worked on all those things? And um, I loved what Ann said, never underestimate what's possible because 
this has taken the work to a whole new level. Um, I think the challenges are in a couple things. What's the future of these organizations? Um, a lot of money's been poured into them and resources. There's a lot of energy around that. And how do we sustain this great work? And just as you know and hear the power of collaboration, we now start to see there's even more and more and more possible. Um, so the challenge is going to be is what's next? Um, how do we get there? How do we support the, the ongoing work going forward? Because you've heard from all of these groups and the HREP head as well. A huge amount of time has gone into uh, making this work, and it's been time and effort certainly very, very well. Um, where do we go next? How do we identify what the next challenges are? How do we continue this kind of learning? And, well, I think we're doing a, a much, much better job of getting patients in the room. I'm not so sure we've uh, done that as well as we could, so I still think that's a challenge for some organizations. And... Um, in the HREP, and I'll just say one quick thing, that we are learning much more about um, the challenges of very small hospitals in rural regions. Um, we have quite a few of them in the hand that we work with most closely, and special issues and special challenges that are that are all being brought to our attention now. So. Thanks, and I apologize for the background airport voice. That's okay. We we know you were competing with somebody making an announcement, <laughs> and it's good to have you with us. All right, um, I'm going to just steal one more minute. Anne, can you just say something about, we had some interesting conversation also during prep, a uh, little bit about uh, as all this work is proceeding apace, um, there continue to be a lot of uh, heady discussions about finances um, and uh, perhaps a couple of other things. Can can you just put, put that out there? Um, I can. I think that um, the way we talk about this work is we're leading with quality and safety and the cost will follow us. Um, you know, an example I, I might use um, is medication errors. You know, for years we've looked at medication errors and the reduction and, of course, we're still doing that, but we begin to ask larger questions around what is the cost of doing something for the second or third time or having to repair a situation because human error has come into it and we want to understand the relationships between people, process, and technology that lets those errors occur um, with our patients. So the discipline that we're putting in is beginning to say, um, what is the cost of what we are improving? And that's not easy work for all the reasons that folks know on the call, which is that hospitals may be one of the worst at measuring true cost, but we are committed to doing that. Okay. All right. Well, let's thank you. Thank you. I think that just uh, kind of is, is a nice um, opener for areas that are going to be continually wrestled with and are important. All right. I did uh, barge in a little bit to our Q&A time, but I really wanted to get everyone out here. John, just remind everybody about chatting. Yeah, thanks. Um, when you chat uh, to anybody, please chat at all participants. So right down there in the bottom of the chat box is send to all participants, and that way everybody can see uh, what your what the questions that you're asking? All right, and don't be shy because you know I always have a lot of questions in my back pocket or my front pocket. And while folks are queuing themselves up, um, I think I will uh, lob one of at least one out. Um, 
And I want to ask, uh, maybe I'll uh, go back to Anne just very, very quickly. You're doing this work in the midst of a lot of changes that are also going on in the country with the Affordable Care Act, changes with reimbursement, payment reform, uh, challenges around population health, et cetera. Um, I'm wondering, uh, does the Partnership for Patients and the work there uh, how, how, how does it all kind of, it clearly gets wrapped up at the very uh, leadership level and in the way everyone has to keep all this in mind uh, but is there some any kind of interesting ways to sort of bring it all together uh, that Ascension is figuring out as a hen well I think there may be uh, one of the things as we've said that um, at the board level at the C-suite level we really need to help leaders connect the dots with this work um, whether it's population health or at-risk covered lives that we're treating, these hospital-acquired conditions are some of the most costly and detrimental things that can happen to our patients. Uh, on the population health side, no one wants harm there either, but one of the most expensive issues they have to deal with is an episode of illness and hospitalization where they're managing against uh, an, an at-risk profile. Um, they have partnered to help uh, look at continuum and transition issues because wherever we can remove a hospital-acquired condition, someone's life has improved, and also we're, we're removing needless waste and charges out of the healthcare system. All of these things cost additional money. So by connecting those dots, you know, it is labor, it's additional length of stay, it, it prevents the, the right sizing that we're trying to do in terms of the drop that everyone's seeing in hospital volume because these stays are extended needlessly. So that's the connection we see and, um, we just had a meeting here yesterday with all of our operating executives, um, and they, they all understand that. We talked about vertical integration across all of the major diagnoses. Patients don't have one of these conditions. They often have three or four. So when you can show CEOs and boards uh, first and foremost mission-driven, we're, we're meeting the needs of our patients, but there's also cost opportunity here. It really resonates with everyone. Okay, thank you very much. Question maybe I'll direct at you, uh, Debbie, and maybe Libby has some input as well. Somebody's asking whether um, hospitals and maybe in the JCR hen are using simulation to focus training on changes uh, in care and communication with families in particular. I don't know if the simulation yeah, um, is coming into the picture at all or not. Yeah, not... Um, I've not seen simulation in terms of um, any of the, you know, right. newer, uh, more sophisticated uh, technology, but certainly role-playing okay. um, uh -huh. is, is something. And, and uh, in the nursing schools, I think um, we're starting to see more of that kind of practice again coming back to um, helping students uh appreciate the need to engage in dialogue and listen to patients and their family members, um, okay. not only about their own care, but about hospital mm -hmm. activities. Thanks. Libby, maybe I'll, I'll miss a little less about the simulation, but um, I'm, I'm wondering, um, you've, you've spoken uh, fairly positively about 
changes and kind of changing dynamics. And I'm curious, um, you, this, this notion again of what happens when a clinician and a patient or a leader and a patient are in the same room, the conversation isn't the same. We have been hearing that for a long time. Is there any example that you might be able to give of something that's even changing even more uh, now that we're maybe people are getting to know one another a little bit better? <laughs> well, I think that um, that authenticity in this effort is is important, and it's important to keep that um, forefront. And if you don't mind, I'd just like to to address the previous question. Oh, sure, go ahead, and, mm-hmm. and just. Um, mentioned that many, many hospitals are now employing family faculty to um, assist clinicians in learning, you know, the, the words, the behaviors. How do we establish these partnering relationships in the care-providing um, uh, relationship? And so that's another opportunity, again, for patients and families to get involved in these um, in these initiatives and, and these training par- purposes um, with really authentic information about how uh, patients and families receive information from clinicians. So just wanted to... Okay, throw that out. And this role is sometimes called family faculty? Right. Yeah, oh, that's really, really interesting. Thank you. Um, Kathy, I'm, are you still there? Are you, did we, uh, are you still on the ground? <laughs> I'm, I'm here. You're, you're still on the ground. I'm so, location. I'm yeah, good. somebody, yeah. somebody uh, is asking if you might uh, elaborate just a little bit about what you're alluding to around some of the challenges for rural hospitals right now. So um, uh, just um, a couple of things um, come to mind immediately. First of all, we call it the tyranny of small numbers. So if you do things by rates and, and numbers, um, one infection or one hack, um, if you if you just don't have a, a good denominator, is obviously one too many, but can can make things look very out of whack in comparison to other organizations. So very small numbers. How do you develop expertise in so many areas that you you need to do? And then the third thing I think is many of these organizations are um, staffed to do the care work that they have to do and don't have. Um, a lot of uh, either expertise or additional staff to work on projects and learn those sorts of things, although we're seeing some very creative solutions coming out of of those kinds of organizations. And then the other thing I think thirdly is um, helping them as they learn to network, as they begin to network together, they have some networks and we're seeing them form others, Um, but they do have a lot of partners in this work. And I'll say one more thing that's a a real surprise is they've, we've seen them use their communities in very surprising ways that a lot of us have learned from. So those are some quick things. Using the communities, you said, in very surprising ways? Right. Having having patients and families because they live in, and work in very small communities where everyone knows everybody. Um, it's, it's very um, easy and common to... Um, know your neighbors and who might be your patients who uh, um, you might be the caregiver and and those situations and really really design things based on exactly the needs for that particular community where they're situated. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, 
Kathy, um, by the way, the, there is a question somebody's asking about the harm across the board templateness. I, there were some other tools and resources. Uh, I'll let Libby answer that. Uh, the question is really around availability uh, of those templates. And um, I'm not sure if some of this, these materials are available now or will be available in the near future. I know Debbie alluded to some things as well. Libby, can you speak to that? Uh, as far as I know, those will be available in the near future, but I will certainly check with um, uh, the group and see what we can do to get that out there. Okay. Well, if you're able to share it, you can share it with us, and we can add it to our resource page, and I'll say that to uh, all our guests today if there are items right. like that that you're able to share now as we're going forward. Um, I guess uh, maybe, Debbie, I'll, I'll come to you. Uh, in the issue, we, as I said on the program today, because we can't talk about everything all at once and do it justice, we're not talking as much about the reducing readmissions goal of the Partnership for Patients, that 20%. Um, is there, are there a couple of sort of high-level things you can say about the relationship between the efforts around harm reduction in uh, the JCR HEM and, excuse me, HEN, and reducing readmissions? admissions uh, that show some promise. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, and reducing readmissions is a very complicated um, issue because of the so many places patients go to and um, uh, trying to prepare them in um, a thorough manner before they leave the hospital to care for themselves if they're going home. So it's it's complicated, and in the rush of... Uh, hospital life, um, planning that teaching beginning on admission is, is essential in order to um, prepare the patient and family as well as possible before they leave. Um, in terms of the, the events that um, often bring patients back, we know that the largest percent of events that bring patients back are, are related to medication. And... Um, the need to be very clear on discharge and even follow up with a phone call afterwards to review the patient's medications with them um, is is been known. Now, how strong is the evidence? I'm not sure yet, but it's been known to identify issues um, when that phone call is made to the patient at home and asking about the meds. These issues are uncovered that... Um, with explanation, with clarity, with reminders um, at that time on the call will correct the patient's perhaps um, noncompliance or confusion around meds and then reduce the likelihood of it bringing them back to the hospital. So medications has got to be the biggest um, adverse drug events and issues associated with uh, returning to the hospital or the ER and one that requires significant teaching and follow-up. Thank you. And uh, thoughts at all about how you, uh, Ascension's work in these um, adverse areas uh, kind of is relating to the readmissions work across Ascension as well? Uh, I agree with the comments just made, and I can cite a specific example. Um, we know from our own event tracking and looking at readmissions just was stated anticoagulant therapy is one of the most common categories of drugs that causes readmissions. We had never been able to 
answer a simple question, how many patients in hospital beds are in therapeutic range um, as measured by an INR. Keeping in mind we're also very diverse. We have every electronic platform there is. And our team here um, in about 60 days was able to interface and pull off data and we can now measure INRs across the system. And that's very important because it lets us know um, how effective is the, the physician management of that and uh, pharmacy as well as what is the level of patient education we have about that before the patient leaves. So that would be one specific example. We absolutely see that connection. Mm -hmm. I think there is also a very healthy respect that um, a lot of the interventions that have been put in place for readmissions are simply not meeting the mark. And as I listened to one of our population health entities, um, ACO, speak yesterday, their learning has been that um, it has to be very, very individually patient-focused. In other words, putting care coordinators just routinely across every group of patients may not at all be what the patient needs. So we have some real innovations coming out of that work with the ACOs that um, I think are telling us a couple of things. Um, we're not listening enough to the patients, and number two, we may not have the healthcare worker of the future really in place right now um, to manage this population outside the hospital. And they talked extensively about that we really need people who can intervene with complex problems at the patient level, wherever that patient is. Very, very interesting. Thank you uh, for those remarks. I really appreciate that. Uh, John, you want to just get in a quick mention here, and then we'll kind of wrap things up. Of course. Thanks, Madge. Uh, the Partnership for Patients is pulling organizations in from all over the country to make patient-centered care a reality. But if you're hoping to get into the weeds of safe and reliable care, there's no better place to start than IHI's Patient Safety Executive Development Program. Now in our 19th offering, the PSO is an intensive seven-day program designed to prepare you to lead strong, effective safety programs and ensure that your patients receive the safe and reliable care that they deserve. The PSO is being held this September right here at the IHI. For more information, email us at info at IHI.org or visit IHI.org slash patient safety. We'll hope you'll join us in September. Okay. Thanks a lot, John. All right. I'm going to there's <laughs> I knew people. See, it took you a while, all of you, to kind of get warmed up here. Uh, first of all, I'm always happy when people are chatting in answers to others. Uh, you can all download this chat transcript when you get off or ask for it at info at IHI.org or it will be on our website tomorrow. Uh, all right. Maybe, Debbie, you may get the last word here today. Um, somebody is asking whether you share Anne's um, observations uh, about uh, system-wide INR values and whether it's harder to do some of this work uh, if you are working across as a hen with multiple hospitals and multiple locations as opposed to being a system. Oh, well, um, <laughs> no, that's we do maybe. share those <laughs> results, but one of the things that we've um, discovered is similar to what Anne was saying, I think, is that, um, you know, INR levels, for example, are usually um, 
there's usually a critical lab value associated with an INR level. So if the patient's level is above whatever the hospital has set as, it, as its value, it triggers a phone call from the lab to the provider um, that, you know, an action has to occur with this patient. Um, and that's in place, I think, in almost every hospital. What is not in place is the aggregation of those events. So we have learned that um, getting that aggregated number was the first difficulty with some of our hospitals. They're just not, they've never asked for, you know, how many of these did we have this month? And so more and more of our hospitals are, have now been able to figure out how to aggregate that count and are sharing with each other on our ADE affinity call how they've accomplished that. And now we're finally then um, at the point where they're starting to uh, find their system issues. Okay. So we do, we try to be as transparent as possible with um, with rates across our hospitals. And we've been careful about it because, as, as you said, they didn't know each other and it's taken a while to build some trust. Okay. Very, very good. All right. Wow. So we um, sped by, we sped through an hour uh, with uh, some really stellar folks with us today, Anne Hendrick, uh, Debbie Nadzim, Libby Hoy, and Kathy Luther, who touched down just in time uh, for the WIHI today. I really want to thank our guests for the effort they put into uh, helping me plan the program and to sharing uh, some of their work. We realized that we're kind of hopscotching through a lot of this. I think there's more to come and more that we're going to find out about the Partnership for Patients as uh, the second half of uh, 2013 gets underway, so stay tuned. We'll come back to some of this. Uh, and I really do appreciate uh, all of you who joined us today. Uh, again, you can download everything when you get off the call today, or you can find it um, on our website tomorrow. We always appreciate it if you would fill out the survey so we can keep making this show better. Uh, you can get involved in the Facebook page at IHI. Uh, Jane Rossner listens in, and she makes some comments. You can add to those. On July 11th, 11th on WIHI after the July 4th holiday. I can't believe I'm saying that. We're already there. We're going to have Don Berwick, David Cutler, and um, Amitabh Chandra with us to talk Turkey about healthcare costs and this uh, apparent slowdown in the growth of U.S. healthcare spending. So that's going to be an interesting discussion on July 11th. The website page about that is now live and you can enroll if you'd like to. I want to again remind everybody if there's any questions or anything you weren't sure where to find it or who to ask, info at IHI.org is your place to go. The people who help make WIHI possible are Mike Sweeney, Jameson Case, Jesse McCall, Alan Olison, Vicki Minden, John Gothier, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, and Matt Morse. Uh, we're in between uh, co-ops from Northeastern, but I look forward to uh, thanking uh, the new person on board. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. Again, a big shout out uh, to all of you who took part today and to our guests. For the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone.